but you got to give it gas. Hold on. Welcome to another episode of Maddie for President. I'm Pops or Jim Munchback, and I had a great time with Caleb. I got to spend a little time with Caleb and Maddie this week, but Caleb and I got to spend some special time uh, together in Kerrville driving his new tractor, his new motorcycle three-wheeler down the river, the trail at the river. So that's what you're seeing now on your screen. I hope you're taking advantage of the video uh, portion. You can go to maddiecast.com, by the way, to see everything that's going to be in today's show notes, along with the video uh, of Caleb learning how to hit the fast button on his three-wheeler, which was super cool. So uh, another thing that happened this week that was kind of a breakthrough is Caleb decided to shed his floaty. So we swim in the backyard. That's where we have most of our family meetings when we're all together. Lovey, Pops, Caleb, and Maddie, as you saw last week, we spend some time in the pool. It's summertime, so we love to jump in the pool. A little bit later today, we're going to be in the pool and then take a little trip to McDonald's for an ice cream cone. But anyway, this week... Caleb did something really extraordinary. He jumped into the pool. He wanted to take off his floaty and show Lovey and me and Maddie that he could swim without his floaties, which was a phenomenal thing to see. I mean, I think, seriously, I think it was the first time he did that. And uh, Lovey was there to watch it. I got home from work as he was showing off his new skill, jumping in the water without his floaties. And so it was just a cool thing to see. We've been working in the swimming pool, trying to teach Caleb, let him learn how to swim uh, at his own pace. And same with Maddie. Maddie and Caleb are very different. So as I'm trying to get to know them, I'm starting to learn that uh, they communicate in different ways. They have lots of words, um, but I can't always understand them. But just I'm trying to learn to pay attention to who they are. Uh, and they're telling me who they are. And so today's, the title of today's show is, Who Are You? And I'm going to cover a couple of things that I found interesting this week that I think, I hope you'll find a little interesting too. But for Caleb to discover his superpower of swimming included a change of identity, which is part of today's uh podcast episode lesson, if you will. And so I'm going to highlight a couple of things that I found interesting about just observing Caleb as he discovered that he was able to swim without his floaties and he was able to hit the fast button on his motorcycle. So one of the things that I thought was kind of cool is Caleb, I kept saying, man, you're swimming like a fish. And Caleb said, no, I'm an alligator. I'm an alligator. And that turned into a fun little episode in the pool where Caleb wanted me to be convinced and certain that he was an alligator. So I'm sure he'll be several other things in the next couple of weeks, but it was kind of cool. He, you can see in these clips that he swims something like an alligator and somewhere in his mind, he decided that's how he swims, like an alligator. You can see somewhere in there, there's a clip of Caleb riding his motorcycle uh, and he's saying hold my hand but you got to give it gas hold on and it was just really precious he and I were out alone on the trail in Kerrville riding along the beautiful Guadalupe River in Kerrville at the Jellystone National Park uh, and 
I got to take him out. I, I took a special trip out there. The whole family went and spent a few days in a cabin. I could go. I went went out there. I wasn't feeling great, so I just went and visited. But I took his little three-wheel uh, motorcycle, hoping that I could get Maddie to take a drive on it. She had nothing to do with it, wanted nothing to do with it. But Caleb, as you can see, he enjoyed it. We went down to the river, which meant we had to go over some big rocks, up and down some hills, and he really needed to learn how to hit the fast button to go up those hills. So it was a very cool learning experience for me and for Caleb. And so I just wanted to highlight that. That's this week's B-roll. And a couple other things I wanted to mention as I surfed the net for some uh, really great B-roll. Again, check out our show notes. Just go to maddiecast.com. Maddie is M-A-D-D-I-E, maddiecast.com. And you can see all of the, everything I talk about in the show notes or in the show are in the show notes and it's right at maddiecast.com. By the way, uh, we had no reviews this week in uh, the, for the podcast. So I'm pretty sure that the algorithm, the iTunes algorithm and the Google algorithm is pretty much putting us at the very bottom of the list because they've discovered that we're actually a conservative uh, voice. <laughs> so uh, today I want to just kind of highlight, in case you don't know, what the difference is between conservative and progressive. It's not about Republican or Democrat or conservative versus liberal or Catholic versus Protestant or Christian versus atheist. None of that really is the point these days. It's really about the difference between being conservative and being progressive. And I'm going to show you right now a big distinction in the area of education. I found, as I sh shared with you last week or the week before, I found this amazing resource, Dr. Stephen Glenn. So, by the way, this week the folks at EmpoweringPeople.com reached out to me to let me know that, that the DVD that I purchased years ago and used to give away, that is now an online course. So I want to just reach out to everybody and say, hey, if you're interested in participating in an online course with Dr. Stephen Glenn, we could do that together. We could do it in a Facebook Live. I just want to know, let me know, do a review in iTunes, if you will, and mention Dr. Stephen Glenn. If you don't know him, check it out. There's a link in the show notes to purchase the audio CDs or the online course, which is new. It's on sale now for $39.99. It's certainly not something we get paid a penny to promote, but it's a phenomenal resource and it really helps highlight one of the major points in today's podcast episode, which is the distinction between conservative and progressive. And if you don't believe that there's a battle going on in our culture for the hearts and minds of our kids, and that battle is taking place on the battleground of conservative, that's folks that are trying to conserve good old-fashioned values, truth, self-evident truth. And in my opinion, conservatives are typically, generally, uh, they stand for truth, old truth, the boring stuff. And progressives are always trying to change things. Progressives are always trying to move forward. And if you don't believe that, today you're going to see a big distinction. I want to introduce you to an old, older person who's no longer alive, 
Dr. Stephen Glenn participated in the uh, government. He, he provided consultation to the education system through the government. And so years ago, this is what you would get. This is Dr. Stephen Glenn helping you understand how to teach a child to take initiative. I was reminded of a story. Some of you may have come across it. I know that it was on the Johnny Carson show and appeared on uh, CNN and on all the networks. This little boy, five years old, was in New York City, home alone, and his sister, three, said she'd like to go into town. So he said, okay, I can probably help. He went and found the keys to the car, took her out, loaded her in the car, backed the car down a 78-foot driveway into traffic, and proceeded a mile and a half into New York, and they probably would have had a good day, <laughs> except a motorist came up behind him. The little boy was driving slowly so he wouldn't overtax his abilities, and that caused traffic to back up. And the motorist came up behind and saw this car going along, couldn't see any driver in there, came up past it and saw this little person in there going along. A bus driver coming around saw the same thing, freaked out, uh, saw a police car up at a diner and whipped over there and ran in and said to the policeman, there's a, there's a little tiny kid out there driving in traffic. The policeman rushed out, donuts and stuff all over, uh, leaped in the car, came up behind him, and then it suddenly occurred to him, what happens if I freak him out with the lights and the siren? I mean, right now he's making it. So he tried for a while and he said, well, maybe I'll risk flashing the lights initially. Now, how many of you have been driving through town with your stereo on, your air conditioning, your windows up, and you've been the last person in town to know they were behind you <laughs> looking for your attention? But the policeman risked it. He switched on the light. The lights flashed, and the little boy immediately turned on his turn signal, pulled over without hitting the curb, and brought the car to a stop. The policeman rushed up and said, what are you doing? The little boy said, I'm driving. <laughs> he said, well, well, I'd better take you to the police station and get your mother. The little boy said, well, if she needs a car, I could take it to her. Now, let, let me point out what was right about this, okay? Was this little boy willing to take the initiative, trying to solve a problem and be resourceful? What he lacked was maturity, judgment, and coordination. But we sometimes put kids down for taking the initiative and then later wonder why they stopped taking the initiative. So that was Dr. Stephen Glenn with a great little lesson on teaching your kids to take initiative. I remember one time long ago, it was actually April of 2000, my family got to go to New York City and I had my wife, Carissa, our daughter, Brandon, our son, and JR, our oldest son. JR was about 16 years old and he was about to get his driver's license. Carissa was very young. I want to say she was about eight or nine, uh, but she wanted to go up into the uh, Statue of Liberty. So she, we promised her that we could do that. That was the one thing that Carissa wanted to do. So we're standing there and there's this huge line to go up into the dress of the Statue of Liberty. And the boys didn't really want to hang out in that line. I certainly did not, but I made a commitment to Carissa, so I was all in. But the boys were bored, and they did not want to stand in that line. And I didn't blame them. There was so much to do. We were in New York City for the first time ever. We were staying in a hotel, Millennium Hotel on Times Square. It was a very cool trip. We got to see a lot of things, but the Statue of Liberty was Carissa's one thing she wanted to see. So to solve the problem, I thought, okay, you guys, I asked my sons, JR was about 16, Brandon was three years younger, so I said, hey, you remember how we got here? And JR's like, yeah, we took the red line on the 
the, the train thing. Uh, and then we had to get on a ferry, and the ferry took us to the, the island, Ellis Island. So I, I just made sure he understood the steps we had to take to get there, which he did. JR had a very, still does, has a very quick, sound mind, and he's not really afraid of anything. So I said, okay, you guys take the key to the hotel, go back to the hotel, and we'll see you there. You can watch some stuff on TV and just have fun. JR thought that was awesome. Brandon thought that was like, no way. And of course, my wife thought I was crazy. But I'm thinking, you know, my son, JR, <clears throat> excuse me, he's about to be given keys to a vehicle and he's going to be driving on his own in a, you know, 2,000 pound vehicle with an engine. So it seemed to make sense to me that that was the next progressive stage of his developing uh capabilities that would serve him well as an adult so it made sense to me that's how my dad raised me and, and so it didn't seem crazy at that time New York City seemed like a pretty good place so they did it everything worked out great we got back to the hotel and they were watching TV Carissa got to go up into the you know the ladies the Statue of Liberty and we had a great time I remember at the end of that trip we were standing at the Twin Towers and we were exhausted we'd seen everything in New York we wanted to see except for the Twin Towers remember it's April 2000 so we're standing there looking up and I remember looking up at those two unbelievable towers and I said to my family next time we come here and there will be a next time this is the first place we're gonna go well, we didn't get back in time to see those towers still standing. But that's a story for another episode. At this point, I want to turn you on to something that would be considered, in my opinion, a great definition of the whole idea of progressive politics and progressive education. So before I release this clip, I want to just mention that when I look at this person, Richard Levine, I have a sense of kind of a sense of heavy sorrow um, because I don't want to make fun of this person looks quite odd I think uh, I think that's the truth I think you know I look pretty odd so and Dr. Stephen Glenn is certainly not the kind of person you'd see on the front of a magazine the way people look apparently is very very important in our culture and you know clearly obviously different people look differently and you're going to see, as I saw, something that just doesn't look quite normal. Nonetheless, this is a person that the progressives have put on center stage and held up and said, not only should we tolerate people who are different, which is true, and I agree with that, but tolerating them is different than celebrating them and accepting their their teachings and their their philosophies and using those same philosophies to basically teach our children and raise our children to conform to something that's totally outside of the norms of self-evident truth. That's a different thing. And so for that reason, I don't want this to be a political podcast, but I can't help but making a clear statement about what I believe as a conservative, as someone who values the teaching of our children, teaching them the truth, 
the self-evident truth that they need to know to be equipped to help empower them to be kids who can grow up to be capable confident courageous adults in a culture that's filled with fear anxiety uncertainty and a whole lot of chicken-hearted people so as you watch this clip of Caleb growing up as you stay with us through the years I hope you'll just think about the distinction between conservative education and progressive education here goes progressive education at its finest so I just want to play this clip and I'm not I'm gonna let you hear some of it and I'll fast forward some of it but basically this is a person who represents an entire uh, philosophy of how we should raise children and how we should allow them to to develop a self-identity at a very very young age that may be just as uninformed as Caleb believing he's an alligator and from this person Richard Levine, you're supposed to take uh, instruction. <laughs> Our government is taking this person's uh, research and this person's philosophy and putting it into practice in millions of children's lives. Not just by putting Richard Levine front and center, but by saying that the teachings the beliefs, the theories that Richard Levine has are the same principles and theories and uh, processes that we should be using to train and develop our children in their own self-identity. So as you watch that video, the whole clip is it's linked into maddiecast.com show notes. You can see all the videos, the whole videos in their original source. But I just wanted to highlight the distinction between conservative and progressive. And to me, Dr. Stephen Glenn and uh, Rachel Levine are two pretty clear bookends to give you the distinction between what's a conservative, what do they stand for, and what's a progressive, and what do they stand for. And now finally. I am fortunate enough to be confirmed as the Assistant Secretary of Health. I will look forward to working with you and your office and coming to your office and discussing the particulars of the standards of care for transgender yeah, medicine. The specific question was about minors. Let's be a little more specific since you evaded the question. Do you support the government intervening to override the parent's consent to give a child puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and or amputation surgery of breasts and genitalia? You have said that you're willing to accelerate the protocols for street kids. I'm alarmed that poor kids with no parents who are homeless and distraught you would just go through this and allow that to happen to a minor. I would hope that you would have compassion for Kira Bell, who's a 23-year-old girl who was confused with her identity. At 14, she read on the Internet about something about transsexuals. She thought, well, maybe that's what I am. She ended up getting these puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones. She had her breasts amputated. But here's what ultimately she says now. And this is a very insightful from decision from someone who made a mistake but was led to believe this was a good thing by the medical community. I made a brash decision as a teenager, as a lot of teenagers do, trying to find confidence and happiness, except now the rest of my life will be negatively affected, she said, adding that the medicalized gender transitioning was a very temporary, superficial fix for a very complex identity issue. 
What I'm alarmed at is that you're not willing to say absolutely minors shouldn't be making decisions to amputate their breast or to amputate their genitalia. For most of our history, we believe that minors don't have full rights and the parents need to be involved. So I'm alarmed that you won't say with certainty that minors should not have the ability to make the decision to take hormones that will affect them for the rest of their life. Will you make a more firm decision on whether or not minors should be involved in these decisions? Senator, uh, transgender medicine is a very complex and nuanced field. Uh, and if confirmed to the position of Assistant Secretary of Health, I would certainly be pleased to come to your office and talk with you and your staff about the standards of care and the complexity of this field. Let it go into the record that the witness refused to answer the question. The question is a very specific one. Should minors be making these momentous decisions? For most of the history of medicine, we wouldn't let you have a cut sewn up in the ER. But you're willing to let a minor take things that prevent their puberty, and you think they get that back? You give a woman testosterone enough that she grows a beard, you think she's going to go back looking like a woman when you stop the testosterone? You have permanently changed them. Infertility is another problem. None of these drugs have been approved for this. They're all being used off-label. I find it ironic that the left that went nuts over hydroxychloroquine being used possibly for COVID are not alarmed that these hormones are being used off-label. There's no long-term studies. We don't know what happens to them. We do know that there are dozens and dozens of people who have been through this who, who regret that this happened and a permanent change happened to them. And, you know, if you've ever been around children, 14-year-olds can't make this decision. In the gender dysphoria clinic in England, 10% of the kids are between the ages of 3 and 10. We should be outraged that someone's talking to a 3-year-old about changing their sex. I want to introduce you to something a little more lighthearted as I'm teaching Caleb the truth about gravity and speed and g-forces and all of the things that come into play as he has to learn to master this three-wheel vehicle. I want you to see a training video that I found very helpful for Caleb. And this is my story. Everyone knew the name Norm Hiccup in the motorcycle world. Back then when you thought about motorcycles, you'd think Harley Davidson, you'd think two wheels, <laughs> and you'd think Norm Hiccup. Oh yeah, of course I knew Norm. You know, if there was a race, Norm was there racing. Racing and racing and racing and losing. That guy lost a lot. Hey, guys, it's not a race, slow down! It was a race, and he knew that. Great race, guys. But you, but you shouldn't go that fast. You need to slow down. Why, why are you like huffing and puffing, bro? I don't know. I honestly don't even know why he competed. I think he just owned a motorcycle. He was the Michael Jordan of losing. And then the craziest thing happened. So it was shortly after losing your, what was it, 65th motorcycle race that it happened? Well, it's completely unrelated to losing my 65th motorcycle race. But it happened directly after a loss, right? Unrelated things happen after other unrelated things all the time. That's a common expression. <sighs> Why don't you just tell us what happened? I had always known that something about me was different. There was something wrong. It was as if I had something inside of me as a motorcyclist that I needed to let out. 
After a lot of thought and reflection, and in no way related to the number of motorcycle races I lost, I finally realized that my life as a motorcyclist was a lie. I was a bicyclist. A man by the name of Norm Hiccup has made history hey, this is today. Hey, the Handlebar Podcast, and today we're talking about Norm As a tractor-driving dentist, I feel Norm really represents the trans vehicle. I love Norm. Joining the race is Norm Hiccup. Wait, I thought he raced motorcycles. I never felt better. Free to be my true self. Live my truth. Just be me. And win races. Completely unrelated. But now that you mention it, the craziest thing happened. I started winning races. Can you believe it? Things were looking up. I was finally me, the real me, and separately, coincidentally, happening at the exact same time, I'm a gold medal athlete. I'd never seen a bicyclist like Norm. Tremendous focus, deeply motivated, and his bike had a 200 horsepower engine that could go from zero to 60 in three seconds. I remember I interviewed Norm around this time. He's a megastar, not only winning trophies left and right, but also a, a huge inspiration to the trans vehicle community. And, and, I, and I said, Norm, when did you know you were actually a bicyclist? And you know what he said? He said, I was looking at a bicycle. And I thought, my motorcycle's faster than that. And that's when I knew who I was. But the thought and the realization just happened to be at the same time, a total coincidence. Did any of the bicyclists oppose Norm's decision? Was anyone not happy about it? Not if they wanted to keep their livelihood or reputation. Not after Sam. I'm Sam. I'm, I was the greatest bicyclist in the world. No one faster than me until Norm. And then all I said was, hey, this guy's a motorcycle. And the next thing I know, Teen Vogue magazine runs over my racing bike with a steamroller and kidnaps my children. I still don't know where they are. Some people were intolerant. It's true. People have called me a hero. They said I'm inspiring. Kids look up to me. Adults lavish me with praise. But when I look in the mirror and I see that person staring back at me, the real me, all I see is all those things that I just said. I agree with it. Okay, I hope you enjoyed those clips. And there's one I want to leave you with. It's just titled, Who Are You? And so this is a part of a daily devotional podcast that we're posting at munchback.com. You can sign up for that if you'd like. It's a kind of a podcast, a daily devotional, and it's about 10 minutes long. So this is how I'm going to leave it today. Until next time, I hope you'll tune in next week. Maddie for president, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And don't forget, please give us a review in iTunes, and I'll give you a shout out on the next episode. Thanks and have a great week. Who are you? Day one. Dear Jesus, who am I really? What do you see in me that you would move heaven and earth to capture my heart? My life feels like a collection of other people's expectations and disappointments. I don't even know anymore who I truly am. Reveal to me my true identity, my true place in your story. Give me grace to hear your voice. Shut out all other voices and let me hear from you alone. I ask this in your name. Amen. The other day I made a bit of a realization. I am still trying, in futility I might add, to create myself 
my true self each day rather than simply receive myself each day. Self that is created by anything or anyone other than the God that breathed me into being can only be false because it is just a cheap imitation, adaptation, or distortion of the me I was created to be by the one who dreamt me into being before the foundations of the earth. My true identity is bestowed, never achieved. So my challenge for this day and every day after that is to stop the ongoing pattern of trying in desperation to create a self that has, in fact, already been fearfully and wonderfully made and to simply receive myself, true self, in peace and in freedom from the God who made me uniquely and loves me dearly. By Jim Branch, April 2012. What do you do when alone with God? Many of us think, talk, or ask, but when alone with God, how vital also to listen. Solitude is the place where you can hear the voice that calls you the Beloved, that leads you onto the next page of the adventure that says, as God said to Jesus early in the Gospels, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. From Matthew 3.17 How vitally that the word Beloved can resound across our lives. Can you hear it? Everyone hears voices that seem to speak for God. Prove yourself. Do something that makes you significant, and then I will show up in love. Or we hear, do something relevant. Be sure that people speak well of you. Be sure you gather money and property and influence. Then I will love you. In our insecurity, we try very hard to respond to such voices. And then we stay busy proving to others that we deserve some attention, that we're good people worth praise, that we merit affection or attention. We push ourselves to wield influence or make a mark. Often we call that vocation, but Jesus calls it temptation. He has no patience with the one who insists that he jump from the temple to show his power or turn stones into bread to prove his ministry credentials. He has heard God speak of his belovedness as God's son. That forms the basis of what he does and knows himself called to do. He will not be distracted by merely doing superficial good. He bears the very presence of God. It is hard for us to hear the voice that proclaims that we are loved in Christ, not for our reputation or impressive actions, but because God has loved us with an everlasting love. I don't hear anything, some say. We are too prone, too conditioned to listen for all the other voices that insist on success or results. I hear only the voices that urge me to go here or do that or get done this mandate, we sometimes think. But then we also long for that other voice. 
I don't suggest by this that you or I should not see fruit from our ministries, not own property or not enjoy any possessions. I'm not saying we should not want to find affection and love from others. I am saying, however, that our identity can find its basis only in God's word to us that we are beloved, not on the world's fickle promises. In Christ, we live as God's beloved before we were born and after we've died. All the circumstances in between will not negate that. From Turn My Morning into Dancing by Henry J. Nowen. O God, our Heavenly Father, who created us beautifully and wonderfully, may we always look to you for our value and worth. Remembering that we are a unique expression of your infinite love, care and creativity. Help us, O Lord, to see ourselves as you see us, objects of your extravagant love and tender affection. Through Christ. Amen. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. To the choir master, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of David. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge, is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken... Twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. Everything is possible to him who believes. Everything is possible to him who believes. And I do, I do
To him who believes And I do 